Welcome to the Hell of a Catholic Podcast. I'm TJ Capaldi, former pastor lackey here at the Georgia Tech Catholic Center, current seminarian for the Archdiocese of Atlanta. My name is Alex Carroll. I'm a missionary with Focus, and I'm stationed here at Georgia Tech. Father Josh, chaplain here at the Catholic Center. The question today is, when we say the Our Father, we say the words, Thy kingdom come. What does that mean? How does it apply to us? Questions, discussion, go. Well, uh, <laughs> I don't even understand your question. <laughs> I Explain it a little more. I didn't either. Um, thy kingdom come. We say the Our Father, we say the kingdom come, thy will be done. What, is, what does that phrase mean? We're talking about the coming of the so kingdom. What's the, what's, we're asking what the kingdom is or what nope. it means for the kingdom to come. What does it mean to come? We're talking about the coming of the kingdom. I I'm think we're talking about the what the time. kingdom is first, right? I agree. Do we have to talk about what the kingdom is? The kingdom yeah. of God? I think we got to talk about what that is. Boom, go for it. Well, I don't know. Do you know what it is? Not really. Well, let's take them both together. Kingdom and come. Where is it coming? It's, 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 it's coming here. It's coming to earth. Soon to a theater near you. <laughs> a theater on earth, definitely. So it's something that's not on earth, which is in heaven, right? So it's heaven, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God coming to earth. Well, I think we want the kingdom to come and his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. So that would make sense. So the kingdom that's in heaven will come to earth. Well, and his name be hallowed on earth <laughs> as it is in heaven. All, those all three, I think. are. Okay, so we want all those things to happen on earth like they happen in heaven. Yes. Okay, well, how do they happen in heaven? Uh, perpetually. Perpetual that's, worship that's of, of the Lord. And... Uh, well, how did how does the king so the name thing? I mean, God is worshipped perpetually in heaven, right? Um, Thy will be done. Everyone in heaven is is God. perfectly obedient. Sure, yeah. But Thy kingdom, the kingdom thing, is more unclear because what what does the kingdom of God entail exactly? Okay, so Jesus uses a lot of different language, and I do not have the scriptural passages. You just have to trust me or not trust me. It's your business. Um, he uses different language to refer to the kingdom of God. Sometimes he says the kingdom of God is among you. Sometimes he says the kingdom of God is something that will come. Right? That's mm -hmm. something that's not yet here. And yet at the same time he says, when certain things happen, the kingdom of God is among you. Like when you follow the will of God, when you love your neighbor, those kind of things, then the kingdom of God is, upon, is, is among you. Sure. So when we're asking for the kingdom to come, are we just asking for everybody to live according to God's law? Yes, but how would that be different from uh, thy will be done? Is that like an encompassing statement? or? I think, I got to tell you, I think when the kingdom comes, the Our Father collapses into it's not. It doesn't collapse into nothing, but all the petitions end up meaning the same thing. They'll be fulfilled, certainly. Yeah, but they're all fulfilled in God. It's like all the petitions. It's like different expressions of a relationship with God that will exist or does exist or both. That in the end are all going to point to the same thing. Heaven. Yeah. Okay. Well, no, it doesn't point to heaven. It points to our Father. That's the important part of the whole prayer. 
<laughs> so we should just stop after praying the first. No, because years. we're not actually there. Kingdom right? hasn't come yet. The kingdom hasn't come. But when it's all said and done, mm. there really isn't any difference between the kingdom coming and his will being done and his name being hallowed and receiving our daily bread and forgiving people their trespasses. Right? There, and, and, and not being led into temptation, to being delivered from evil. There's really no difference. It's all the same act of salvation. And it's all the same act of glorification that, that occurs kind of at the end of time. So when we're saying thy kingdom come, are we wishing for the end of time? I think we are. Yeah, I think, I think we're calling for um, this event. And I think that's probably the more interesting part of the prayer. That's the one part of the Our Father uh, that seems to refer to the end of the world. Yeah. Right? So, are we praying for the end of the world? Which is a weird thing to pray for. I don't think it's a weird thing to pray for. It's Why kind of a not? Weird thing to pray for. Why not pray for the end of the world? Do you pray for the end of the world, TJ? Every time I say the Our Father, <laughs> apparently he just found that out. Not yeah. Now, yeah. <laughs> but like outside of the Our Father, that'd be a weird prayer. Lord, please reroute the end of the world. That's just not something you normally well, hear in you know, your your daily. Well, prayers. do you think people? Do you think? Do you think it's possible that people could pray to die? Yes, I do. Should you wish for death? I, I think it's a totally different topic. The first thing that comes to mind. I don't, actually, I don't, no, think, it's, I don't think it's that different. The, yeah, I guess you know, the first thing that comes to mind is that it, it's not that different because that's there's two ways to get there is by either the kingdom coming or you going right. But uh, well, maybe that's the kingdom coming to you. It, exactly. Yeah, that's so why we've it's been not praying for different. our death this whole time. But but, but at the same time, uh, I think. I personally think of St. Paul in the, his first chapter of his letter to the Philippians. He specifically talks about his personal conflict between, like, he. I'm paraphrasing, but he says, I want to die so that I can be with you in heaven, Lord Jesus. But if it's, he's basically saying, if it's your will that I live, then, like, I need to do something to serve you here now. And so he's in this tension between the here and now and heaven. And it's, a, it's just beautifully stated what his personal inner conflict is. I remember reading this uh, commentary on the Gospel of John by this woman, a, a Swiss mystic named Adrian von Speyer. Adrian von Speyer was the uh, kind of inspiration to one of my favorite theologians, Hans Urs von Balthasar. And apparently, this was how it was described to me by a professor one time in seminary. Hans and Adrian would go for rides out in the countryside, the Swiss countryside, on Sunday afternoons. Adrian would eat bonbons and go into mystic visions. And <laughs> Hans would write down her visions. So she published like 30 books, but Baltazar wrote all the books. Um, she didn't write anything. Hmm. Uh, in her commentary on the Gospel of John, which... It's, in my opinion, it's definitely in the top five. It may be in the top three spiritual books ever written. Uh, in the end of the first volume, she talks, she has this reflection on death. And she has this reflection on death and long life. And that as we grow older, that to increase 
our desire and longing for the kingdom, people in our life that we know die. And as that happens, our connection to this world grows less and less, and we're more and more willing to live for the kingdom of heaven. And I think it's a really beautiful reflection, but it's also really hard. Mm. I will tell you that in my time as a priest and as a seminarian, the number of seminarians or priests that I have known that have lost mothers, fathers, or siblings in an untimely kind of way far exceeds the normal population. Really? Um, now that could just be my experience, mm-hmm. right? And I, I grant that. But it far exceeds the normal population. And I do think there is some element to that in which God is, in some way, he's like preparing our hearts for heaven. He's preparing our hearts for the kingdom because a little bit of our heart kind of is already there. Um, and I, I do think I do think we're asking for that. We're asking for that in uh, when we're praying the Our Father. It's hard to wrap your head around it is hard to wrap your head. I mean, it's a beautiful thought. Don't get me wrong. That when, when our people, when our, our friends and our family die, that we're, we're growing just a little bit closer to the kingdom of God, growing a little bit closer to heaven. We're longing for it more to see our not only to see God. Well, you can imagine by the time you're an old man, let's say you make it and you're mm-hmm. not killed by somebody, which is pretty unlikely. But <laughs> let's say you make it. All right. Let's say you outlive all of your friends. Yeah. You outlive all your family and all your friends. That's not the ideal position to be in. Like, sure. nobody wants to be the last guy left. Yeah. You know, I, although, I don't know, maybe, maybe people do. I, I don't have that, I mean, I'm not saying I'm completely unafraid of death, right? Sure. But I don't have the harrowing fear of it that some people have. Yeah. Um, there are some people that are just terrified of the fact that their life on this earth is going to end at some point. A lot of those people solve that problem by not believing in God or trying not to believe in God uh, running from him a lot of people solve that problem by uh, living as great a wasteful and prodigal life as they can on this earth and some people solve that problem by saying you know what I wasn't made to be here in the first place God's put me here for a little bit of time and I'm going to spend eternity in heaven the time on earth is just a blip we're calling for that kingdom to come. We're calling for what we're supposed to be in eternity, what the world's supposed to be in eternity. And whether all this world is going to pass away or whether it's going to be perfected, it's very ambiguous. St. Paul himself yeah, yeah. kind of says different things. Like, w- is the world still going to be here? Is it just going to be perfected? Or is it going to totally pass away? It's going to be like the book of Revelation where we're all gathered around God and, and worship. Well, there will be. there's a promise of a new heaven and a new earth. So, yes. I mean, who knows? I mean, we could right, talk for means, hours yeah. about what that means, sure. but I mean, yeah. there's some some insight to be gleaned there. Um, can can I change the subject slightly? Depends on what you want to change it. To. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll pose a question and we'll see where it goes. Um, my question is basically, what? Okay, we're talking about the kingdom coming, right? So, to what extent? I mean, you mentioned earlier, Father, how. Thy kingdom come, and and what Jesus said about it, what Jesus said about the kingdom, he said a lot of things that lean towards the kingdom being here and the kingdom not being here, right? So to what extent does thy kingdom come 
and the kingdom coming refer to uh, the church, like the church on earth and the perfection of what we experience on earth. Well, so we have these kind of three parts of the church. You've heard this before, right? The church militant, which is the church here on earth, the church suffering, which is the folks in purgatory, and the church triumphant, which is in heaven. When At the end of time, when Christ comes again, there will not be a church militant suffering and, pur- and, and uh, triumphant. There will only be the church. And it will all be triumphant. Mm-hmm. right? There, the other parts will go away. When the kingdom of God breaks into the world, what we see is in the church militant here on earth, we see for a moment, because of someone's transparency to God, their holiness, perfection, all that kind of thing, we see the collapse of the triple distinction of the church. And for that bit of time on earth, we see in that person the church triumphant. That's what we see in the saints, right? So in our lifetime, in your lifetimes, in your memories, John Paul II, right? John Paul II, in his person, carried in him the church triumphant. Right? He carried in him the church triumphant and the church suffering. He carried all of it, right? He was, as he's dying, right, in his whole process of death, he carries with him all these souls in purgatory, the church suffering, that is is suffering for the sins they've committed. John Paul II is suffering for the sins that other people have committed. He's the church militant constantly. I mean, even his in his last day, right, his, mm-hmm. his or it wasn't a last day, but his last audience, Right, coming to the window and blessing all the people. He can't even say anything. He's had a tracheotomy. Basically, right? yeah. And he still he went anyways. Anything. He's yeah. still oriented to us here on earth, right? The yeah. church militant, trying to, to pull people to heaven, trying to inspire them. He's suffering with the church militant, and he's already showing us. I mean, he showed anybody, anybody with a, an ounce of goodwill. Read any biography about yeah. him. It's incredible. Anybody with an ounce of goodwill knows that this man had appropriated heaven into his heart. And so it's no wonder that when he dies, he's a saint very quickly. Yeah, no, and people were chanting at his death, really, like to make him a saint. Yeah. But so in John Paul II, and, and not just John Paul II, same thing with, you could say the same thing in Mother Teresa. That's in my memory, but probably not in you guys. I'm a not so much. bit older than you guys. Yeah. Um, but so Mother Teresa, the same thing. Like people, when they see her, they were captivated by her. Why? Because the woman walked around as a union of the church militant, triumphant, and suffering. She's that union of it. All of it collapsed into the church. It doesn't make her the church, right? But she's now fully transparent that when people see her, they see Christ. So is it ridiculous to say that when we we are praying for that kingdom to come, we're praying for that union within ourselves? Absolutely. That's not ridiculous. That's exactly what you're praying for. That's beautiful. Amen to that. That's much better than just to bring about the end of the world. But that yeah. is the end of the world. Right, right. But like, you That's can't just say the end of the world. Uh, I, understand, I, understand. No, I but, like but, it. But do you see what I'm saying, though? Like, yeah. I think it's important to realize, like, the end of the world is a good thing. Like, it is a good and beautiful thing. Yeah. That's not something we should be afraid of. It's marked by all these mysterious, confusing horrifying passages in the book of Revelation <laughs> that should not necessarily be taken in the horrifying way that they seem to be written. Yeah. Apocalyptic literature is a very mysterious thing in the Bible. And the most important thing about the book of Revelation is that it's mysterious. 
Not that it's scary. Mm-hmm. And it's not supposed to be like that. It will be scary for some. There's no question about it. Sure. Those people on Earth who need time in purgatory, yeah. their purgation is going to come at the moment of Christ entering the world. And that will be terrifying. Right? And it will be, be glorious, too. It will be glorious to those who are witnessing it from the outside. Okay, that's fair. It will we, not be glorious we, to the people who are going through it. We may or may not do a podcast on that, but that's yeah. separate. But uh, I wanted to introduce another question. Okay. And, uh, you know, Father Josh, you've said you said a few things. I don't want to make this podcast about you, but... Uh, I do. I'm, and that's okay. But I want to know... why if the kingdom comes, I'm probably going to be one of the people who don't see the glory. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what, what I'm curious about is, uh, in your experience... I mean, you've been a priest for four years now. Um, and counting. How does this statement... How does what we've talked about so far in terms of... You know, you mentioned the collapsing of these, these three uh, elements of the church into one how does that apply to your experience and your living out of uh, the priesthood of Jesus Christ uh, I'm not sure I, I totally understand your question does the question oh so I guess uh, like you're living a life where you're called to uh, step into the person of Christ right yeah and so necessarily I'm guessing that that in that kind of requires you you know I'm thinking about I'm thinking about funerals I'm thinking about baptisms I'm thinking about all those things, uh, but I, I don't know what your perspective is on. I mean, you as a priest, you're kind of being called to participate in those three different parts of the church in terms of the church suffering, the church militant, and the church triumphant. Um, like, I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about, like, has that had an impact on you? Like, has that changed how you do things? Oh, yeah, like, okay. is that a part of your life now? You know, like, more so than it was before, those three parts of the church. Yeah, I, I think so. Um, For the few people who are listening, they might be interested to know about that. Well, whether they're interested or not, you are. That's fine. <laughs> um, I think that I know priests who have been so dramatically affected by their ministry that it just profoundly changes who they are as a person in a good way. Mm. Like I don't mean yeah. that you know they're they're changing something bad. I mean but it, it's true like once you've gotten past the novelty and the excitement of baptisms. Once you've gotten past the novelty of anointings of the sick, right? So you're a new priest, everything's novel, right? Yeah. It's like, oh, somebody's dying. This is great. I get to do an anointing, right? <laughs> you know, so, okay, maybe I should think about that. You know? <laughs> yeah, that's not something I feel comfortable laughing about. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, uh, once you get past the novelty of it, if you're paying attention, and not everybody does, but if you're paying attention, um, the celebration of the mysteries has a sobering effect on you. Um, I don't know a single priest who thinks they're even close to where they should be in their spiritual life. I don't know a single priest who thinks they're even close. Um, 
And I don't know if that's because... See, the thing is, I know priests who I know are close. Or they are where they're supposed to be. I, I, I know priests who are. Um, but I think the, the thing is, like, a priest deals in eternity and in the direct grace of God all the time. And if you're... If you're even slightly open to that, uh, over time you realize how unworthy you are of that and what a great demand, what a great kind of obligation that places on you as a priest to try to more perfectly manifest the love of God in the world. So people, people identify you. I mean, it might not be justified. I mean, it doesn't really matter like how it happens, but people identify you with Jesus Christ. It, it, it's a very strange... I mean, not everybody does, right? The more you know somebody, you kind of mm-hmm. see their flaws. Like, I'm sitting here with two friends, <laughs> and they're not going to identify with me with Jesus Christ, but... Sometimes. Um, the, unlikely. So, during <laughs> like, the Mass, uh, mostly, but that's about it. During certain specific words <laughs> of the Mass. And only those like, words. And never any. The rest of the time, no way. Uh, this is a very cynical people, view of his whole life, but we'll continue that. anyways. There's other people who I know. Um, very, I, I, I'm thinking of one family in particular. Very, very holy family. It's incredible. And they really do. Every time I see them, they treat me like I'm Jesus Christ. And it makes me super uncomfortable. Yeah. You know? Um... But they're treating me the way we're supposed to treat everybody. You know, it's not... I I ought not to be uncomfortable with that. Mm. I ought to be... I ought to recognize that as, oh, yeah, look, they're treating me like I treat other people. You know? um, I don't know. In the long run, TJ, it seems to me that... uh, The more I do the things a priest is supposed to do the less competent I feel to do them the more I feel like I'm not doing them very well and uh, the more interested I am in doing them it's a strange thing I don't know if that even touched your question but <laughs> absolutely that's a beautiful response nonetheless next time you pray the Our Father think about it Thy kingdom come. What are you actually saying? This is the Georgia Tech Hell of a Catholic Podcast. Thank you for listening. Uh, send an email if you have any questions, comments, concerns, or clarifications to podcast, podcast at gtcatholic.org. Beautiful. Thank you so much. God bless.